This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. My name is Rich Bradbury. It is Tuesday, the 7th of November, 12.05. Tuesday, meaning it is Tech Tuesday. As ever, I'm joined here on the telephone lines by Matt Armitage, of course, from culturepop.com. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? Hey, Rich. I'm good. I've put on a special shirt today, so I hope everyone likes it. I've, oh, no, it's radio. Yeah, exactly. They can't see you. But let me describe it in great detail. It is black and white. You kind of look like a, a zebra that's kind of, I don't know, warped in and, and kind of not made it all the way there. So it's kind of stripes, but pushed off a little bit. Yeah, it's my temporal diffusion shirt. Yeah. That's the, the sparkly kind of um, camouflage that they used to have in World War II on ships. That's the stuff that they use. Anyway, um, big news in AI this week and last week, of course, and uh, just uh, a few hours ago, of course, coming out of uh, the chat GPT headquarters, OpenAI, uh, which, of course, you just heard a little bits and pieces about on the news there. Uh, and we'll get into some of that a little bit later on. But we do have a whole bunch of stuff lined up for you today, of course. And if you want to get in touch, add your comments and your commentaries or whatever, get us on our U mobile whatsapp number 018-789-8899 get us on x at bfm radio and of course that's where we start with our favorite young man elon musk um, his first ai product uh, is a chat bot and he's called it grok um, so just a few days ago he made the announcement for the launch of grok um, first ai product by his ai company x ai um, developed with data from x so apparently it's better informed on the latest development it's said to be superior to ChatGPT 3.5, designed to say, to have humor and sarcasm in its response. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Uh, it's available to a select group of users just in the US for now, and uh, will be available to all X Premium Plus users after the testing stage. Um, what have you got to say about this, uh, Matt? Well, um, I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, this is one of those stories where, okay, th- the idea of Elon Musk fronting an AI company, okay, that actually makes more sense yep. than him controlling X. So, you know, there's a, a chance, a pretty good chance that this will, with the right kind of investment, turn out to be a pretty good product. Now, as one of the people who said that they have concerns about the power and direction mm. of AI, I find it very strange that he's basically come up with a troll, a troll bot. Mm. Um, which is effectively what this is. He's saying, yes, it's it's sarcastic. And one of the, the things I think it did was show the recipe for making cocaine, but then with a disclaimer saying that you shouldn't make cocaine. So is this supposed to be a, a demonstration of the dangers of AI? Mm. Or is this Elon Musk simply turning his back on what he said before mm. uh, and making something that, outdangers everybody else's products. I'm not sure. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he did sign that petition, right? And then he he's just said now, he's stated that he just, quote, wanted to be on the record as recommending a pause. Why do you think he did that? What, recommended the pause or changed his change, change position? His, change his position. I mean, oh, okay, he's launched his Grok well, bot. I mean, I, I mean, he obviously he's stated that, but during the the recent conference on AI, he was still pushing the idea that uh, that AI poses an existential danger mm. to humanity. So whether he's taking the idea of chatbots out of that idea of much larger generative AI, and he's mm. actually talking about two separate things, that's 
perfectly possible, mm. but that's perhaps not clear to to people who don't have a uh, an in-depth understanding of the the the, the mechanics and machinations of AI. Mm. I mean, he even went to speak with uh, the Prime Minister of the UK, of course, Rishi Sunak, and and said just a day or two ago that AI will will get rid of all jobs and will no longer need have a need for jobs. Uh, again, you know, a lot of this is uh, is about generating headlines and uh, generating talking points and and controversy, and we have covered this in quite a lot of detail on mm-hmm. on Matt's Blaine, uh, for example. So, yes, there are threats that AI poses to um, to jobs, to the the future of work, but it's not at this point where we're looking at the end of all jobs. Although we 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 do have a story later uh, about uh, yeah. uh, AI in C-suite uh, positions, uh, which could perhaps change your mind. Also, when when we do do that catch up on the uh, Open AI Dev Day, um, I think there are some uh, jobs perhaps that for Y Combinator companies uh, that may well be um, in danger, of course. But we'll we'll get to that in, in just a few minutes because we are sticking with Elon Musk. Um, and he started selling off old Twitter handles for upwards of $50,000. Uh, and so rumors might be true that they started rolling out initiatives to sell disused usernames and handles at the price of up to $50,000. The at handle team within the company is reportedly setting up a marketplace for the sales of these usernames. Um, he's hinted multiple times since acquiring Twitter stroke X that up to 1.5 billion unused accounts and handles will be dealt with. Um, he'd expressed intentions to free up usernames taken by bots and trolls as early as November 2022 as part of his supposedly uh, cleaning up process. Accounts that were inactive for years are aimed at currently, and some users are asking him to spare the accounts of those that are deceased. Uh, X's username registration policy still indicated it couldn't release inactive usernames, but Elon Musk himself uh, may need to consider purchasing an at handle, which has been Act inactive since 2019. Its inactive account policy, meanwhile, warned users to log in every 30 days to avoid being considered inactive, but also said X was not currently releasing inactive usernames. I've definitely seen uh, a few inactive usernames on there on the past few months you know, as I've been looking through. What about you? Well, I think one of them is probably mine. I, I was going to um, say that, but I thought I'd let you say it first. Yeah, no, but um, I think this is where I probably sort of confound people's expectations um, and say that, you know, I have no problems with this issue. Yeah. You know, one of the um, one of the things that, that people sort of get a little bit confused about sometimes is who actually owns the names. Mm. Well, it might be your name on Twitter, but you don't own it. Uh, X owns it. So X is perfectly at liberty to withdraw that handle from you, to uh, assign it to somebody else. They may have uh, internal policies that prevent against that. There may be issues uh, of of greater IP and copyright infringement that that come into those issues as well. But it's well within um, X's right as a company to sell off those old handles for however much it sees fit. That's simple commerce. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember not too long ago, people trying to sell off their own Twitter handles, and there seemed to be quite a market for it. But of course, at the end of the day, like you say, you, you don't actually own those handles at all. All you've done is registered it within their domain. Yeah, exactly. It's actually for uh, their benefit rather than for you for, for yours, in, yeah. in a sense. So yeah. Now, um, should we take a break here? Or should we dive into Dev Day? What do you think, Matt? 
Oh, let's take a break. Okay, let's have a short break then, because we do have a bit to talk about here, because it's uh, it can get quite complicated and there's a lot to go through. Right, um, on Matt's advice, I'm going to take a break here on Enterprise Biz Bytes. Uh, and of course, if you want to get in touch, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. We've got some ads, and then we've got some music from Third Eye Blind with Jumper. We'll be back in just a few moments here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. But films, man. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Enterprise Biz Bites on Tuesday, the 7th of November, 12.09 here in the studio. I'm with uh, Matt Armitage, of course, from Culture Pop. That was Third Eye Blind with Jumper. We've had some interesting news so far, mainly AI-related stuff, a little bit of X stuff in there, of course. Uh, We've dealt with Elon Musk. And now we're going to move on uh, to our second favourite CEO, uh, Sam Altman, uh, of course, from uh, OpenAI. Now, um, they are unveiled yesterday, or just a few hours ago, depending on where you are, several new upgrades and tools to its suite of AI models, including ChatGPT. I'm going to quickly run through some of them. Uh, number one, Chat uh, G- uh, GPT-4 Turbo, uh, a more capable version of uh, GPT-4 with 128K context window, expanded knowledge uh, up to April 2023, lower prices for inputs and outputs, um, introducing tools for fine-tuning for developers, and it lets businesses tailor their experience to their needs without having to build an entirely new model. Assistance API, so you've got stuff like text-to-speech AI assistance, uh, so a chatbot will respond and mimic human voices with six to choose from. Of course, some of us have already had access to some of that. The ability to interact with real-time data, now it's connected to the internet with an advanced image generation and speech processing capabilities. No code and copyright, so the ability to program the GPT just by having a conversation. No coding needed. Um, Copyright shield to protect developers from claims of copyright infringement and uh, stepping in to defend their customers and pay the costs incurred in the case of uh, legal claims or copyright infringement. There's been a whole bunch of changes, uh, and essentially what has happened is we've finally seen, for most users, the the multimodal mode uh, kind of switched on. Right, Matt? Yeah, so I've been playing around with the uh, multimode this morning, and I have to say the the move to that uh, uh, chat, GPT-4 Turbo mm. um, really does make a significant difference to the, the speed that it processes information. Uh, I've uh, been playing around for the last sort of couple of weeks with uh, having it summarize documents and PDFs and that kind of thing much, much faster with mm. this iteration. I mean, we were talking about the uh, uh, Grok, the uh, the Twitter uh, XAI yeah. um, being as capable as uh, ChatGPT 3.5. Well, you know, this is just sort of more proof of how quickly these things mm. are evolving. Mm. You've got that model being equivalent to 3.5. We're already at GPT-4 Turbo mm. uh, on another model. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot to catch up with there. Um, but, yeah, this is... Uh, this seems to be uh, a much more capable version of what was already an incredibly capable system. Mm. One thing I did notice, though, in the kind of run-up to the uh, release of this news, and I, I was watching uh, as some of the leaks were coming out, and, and some of the kind of feedback was that 
a lot of users, uh, premium users, were complaining that uh, GPT-4 seemed to have been dumbed down somewhat. Um, and if we look at, I mean, I noticed it when it was developing some of the DALI uh, 3 images, is that they didn't seem to be as... Um, I don't want to say they weren't as accurate because they were accurate, but they didn't seem as clean and they didn't seem as kind of um, involved, so to speak. And even when it was developing some uh, technical details for me, it seemed to be missing a few bits and pieces as well when I'm looking at the text that it had generated. And that kind of inferred that by making the uh, the, the uh, LLM faster, it had removed some of the smartness. Uh, so to speak, that seemed to be the feedback that I was hearing. Yeah, I mean, I haven't experienced anything like that. To mm. to be perfectly honest, uh, I've been messing around. You know, I'm still switching between sort of a couple of um, the, the image generating apps. So mm. um, Dali is much more literal when it comes to to prompts than say something like Mid Journey, which is much more interpretive. Mm. Uh, when it, it comes to the the results it gives you, but I haven't experienced any of those issues personally. Mm -hmm. um, I should probably go and try and replicate some of the the issues that uh, uh, that people have experienced. Uh, but um, apart from it not being able to to handle sort of the design elements of PDF documents very well, um, as I said, I haven't really had any kind of issues with any of the information mm -hmm. I've been getting back from it. It's definitely worth running some uh, previous conversations you've had with it uh, prior to the release of uh, GPT-4 Turbo uh, to see what kind of, you know, so you can AY, uh, XY them, AB them. Uh, but some of the other things that I have noticed as well is if you open up the the uh, chat openai.com on, on your uh, web browser and you see, if you're a premium user and you see the explore tab up at the top left of the, 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 the page, um, you have a whole bunch of things that it's now spitting out for you somewhere that we're familiar with of course dali and data analysis and chat gpt4 classic excuse me but now there's stuff like game time so it can quickly explore board games for you um, it has a gpt that's a negotiator so it'll help you advocate for yourself and get better outcomes uh, so you can become a great negotiator uh, there's a creative writing coach in there um, there's a tech support advisor all really great little innovations but it makes me feel sorry for uh, many of these little companies that have popped up to provide these as a paid-for service, uh, you know, and now with just this one release, these businesses are now gone. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, I think OpenAI is uh, is on the verge of launching its own app store. Yeah. Uh, so people will be able to write apps for GPT, and they will receive revenue based on the the use of that those apps within the within the app store. Uh, but it's one of those things that. Uh, we've touched on, I think, in on this show and also in in Matt's mm. this idea, for example, of prompt en engineers, uh, this kind of emerging field of people who help other people to mm. use tools like this. And I said, well, as soon as we saw the kind of voice capabilities of the the previous iteration of chat gpt i said that's probably going to make a lot of those prompt engineers redundant because yeah. people can simply explain it now yeah. and that seems to be the way uh, that the company is going and that goes along with the announcements that you know you can program gpt without having to to know any code yeah uh, and this is also why the 
it's so important to have this kind of uh, copyright shield uh, protection for enterprise users where the company will step in mm. um, on these issues of, of plagiarized or illegally accessed data. I mean, I, I know we've kind of said this before and, and you know, there's, there's a lot of hype around this whole thing, but at this stage today, looking at this screen and, and seeing some of the stuff that was released yesterday, I, I, I want to say it actually makes me feel like there is some kind of industrial revolution happening now. I, I Now I think I can actually finally see it. Do you know what I mean? I think so. I mean, you know, we've heard the sort of buzzwords around the fourth industrial revolution, yeah. sort of based around edge computing and the, the Internet of Things. This really is kind of the consumer end of yeah, that yeah, fourth yeah. industrial revolution. Uh, so uh, I, I think to, to, to say that it's just started is probably to uh, to overlook what's been happening in the kind of industrial and the the enterprise sector for the last few years. But certainly in terms of recognition uh, by consumers and by the public, yeah. I, I think this is the the kind of first sort of visible application of those things. Because by and large, people don't really care how smart a factory is they just care about the car that they buy and yeah. end up driving they they don't really look at the the kind of data transfer speeds or the fact that all of this information is uh, processed on site and then sent up to the cloud they don't really care about that aspect mm -hmm. but this is something they can see uh, in a sense you know touch uh, or have those kind of touch points with uh, and gain experience of and even speak to well, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. that's what I mean by by touch. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean obviously physical touch, but you know, interactions. With that won't be long, Matt, will it? Let's be honest; it's not going to be long until we're getting that. Um, but anyway, um, we, well, that, that's actually our next story. I was just going to say yes. So, um, this company, uh, a Polish drinks company, uh, Dictador, they made headlines by appointing a humanoid robot named uh, Mika, uh, created by Hansen Robotics, as its experimental CEO. <laughs> Uh, and this move was touted as a groundbreaking step with the robot claiming to be available 24-7 for executive decisions. <laughs> I wonder if they're available 24-7 to sign those checks when we need a pay raise. Uh, however, some skepticism exists uh, about whether AI CEOs are ready for mainstream adoption, as evidenced by a significant delay during an interview with Micah and varying public opinion on the idea, um, ironically. Despite the reservations, as machine learning systems continue to advance, uh, replacing human CEOs with AI is becoming a less far-fetched concept, with 40% of survey respondents expressing support for the idea. Hmm. AI CEOs might be more willing to handle challenging tasks like employee terminations without hesitation. Oh, dear. Matt. Well, uh, so th there's a video that accompanies uh, this story where the president of the company claims that this uh, isn't a gimmick and that uh, Micah is completely real. Uh, and, of course, this is a gimmick. Uh, it's a fantastic marketing gimmick because how many people now know about Dictador yeah. and the uh, the products that it makes. Um, the idea of having a physical robot uh, attached to the AI is a little bit unnecessary and reductive. So that's why I say that it's a gimmick, because if you have an AI as a CEO, 
you don't necessarily want, you don't need a physical representation mm -hmm. of it. I mean, that's the whole point. You have a machine that works at machine speeds mm. to come up with decisions. Uh, and people who've interacted with the robot have said there is a delay between, you know, asking questions and getting responses. Yes, of course there is, because you're actually talking to an AI that's sending it back to a machine to actually output the, the voice. Just speak to the machine. You don't need the physical avatar in mm. front of you. Mm. Uh, will we see more of this kind of C-suite functioning being transferred to machine intelligence? I think we will. Uh, not in terms of, say, some of the decision-making like signing checks. I think, obviously, those decisions are going to remain in human hands. But we're going to see a lot more collaboration within those uh, C-suite functions between mm -hmm. machine intelligence and CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, you know, the, the, the whole gamut. Yeah. Okay. On that note, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we've got some uh, takeaways from the UK's AI Safety Summit uh, that happened uh, earlier, uh, sorry, late last week. And of course, uh, we've got some stuff about how AI might threaten Singapore professionals if not used thoughtfully. And I think we have uh, one. Oh, oh, yes, of course. It is a story that we, we do need to talk about. And we've actually had a WhatsApp regarding this um, from, uh, let me just double check the number. Yes. Uh, Robert. Lim Chun Sin has said, how about a shout out for the Beatles? Um, yeah, that's going to be coming up a little bit later on, Robert. So uh, make sure you do stick around for that. We are going to take a short break, myself and Matt, of course. Uh, you are tuned into Enterprise Biz Bites. We've got a little break coming up with some music from Amy Winehouse. Don't go anywhere. This is Enterprise Biz Bites here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Big Front Man, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Rich Bradbury. It is the Tuesday, the 7th of November, 12.37 here in the studio. And of course, I'm on the phone line with Culture Pops, Matt Armitage. We're going through Tech Tuesday. We've had stories so far about Elon Musk's first AI product, a chatbot named Grok. I think that's uh, from Stranger in a Strange Land, if I am not mistaken, the term Grok. Correct? That's correct. One ah. of Iron Maiden's best songs. Yes, indeed, yes. Uh, he also told us that X is has started selling off uh, old Twitter handles uh, for upwards of $50,000. We've had a quick update on the OpenAI Dev Day. Uh, we spoke about a company uh, appointing an AI-powered robot as a CEO. Uh, now we should get into some... Um, well, a bit of news about safety and AI, of course. We kind of briefly touched on this last week a little bit, and we've mentioned it regularly on uh, Matt Splained. Uh, this safety summit that happened uh, between the 1st and 2nd of November in the UK, addressing uh, specific risks, uh, risks found in relation to AI and to intensify and sustain cooperation internationally. It's uh, important to note the importance of inclusive AI and bridging that digital divide. Also led to an international declaration and multilateral agreement on advanced AI models. So it's the first international declaration established to deal with AI. 28 governments signed up for the Bletchley uh, Declaration, agreeing on collaboration on AI safety research, with the US and the UK competing to take the lead over development of new regulations. A uh, whole bunch of countries involved. Uh, I'll just go through a couple of them. Australia, Brazil, Canada, Chile, China, the European Union, France, Germany. Uh, South Korea will be hosting another summit, uh, summit in six months. Uh, France are going to host another one next year. And the declaration stated there is potential for serious 
even catastrophic harm, either deliberate or unintentional, stemming from the most significant capabilities of these AI models. And the UN expressed support for an expert AI panel similar to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Matt? Yeah, I don't really know where to uh, where to start with this. I mean, it's been... To start with, it looked as though it was going to be a bit of a damp squib. Mm. A lot of world leaders looked as though they weren't going to come. So uh, the UK has sort of managed to, to pull it off. They pulled in sort of a lot of big names from, you know, the in terms of world leaders, uh, senior politicians, but also figures from um, a lot of uh, big companies. Mm. Now, whether this is going to lead to anything major, because I know that uh, some people are saying that Rishi Sunak is looking at this as some kind of legacy that he can uh, leave if he's uh, re uh, you know, ejected from office at the uh, next election. Uh, so there is that kind of uh, potential there. But, um, you know, it, it did sort of devolve a little bit into fast, the kind of fireside chat between Elon Musk and uh, and Rishi Sunak, where Rishi Sunak uh, looked uh, more like the kind of gushing fanboy than uh, Agreed, a, a yeah. global a global leader. So very kind of mixed results from this. Again, the interesting things will be what comes out of this, how countries move forward with legislation. So despite holding this summit, the UK is saying that uh, they don't think that the sector requires a lot mm. of regulation, mm. whereas we see countries like the US taking the lead. Um, and also just this noting that the US is kind of the dominant power. They're the one enacting legislation. It's where a lot of the companies are actually uh, based and it's where a lot of the products are are coming out of. Yeah. So, you know, there there is this kind of issue of distribution. Uh, do the countries that are moving forward with legislation on this, are they doing it from a, a reactive point of view or are they doing it to actually create an environment where uh, AI-based innovation can actually you know, blossom and bloom within those economies? Yeah, noting that, of course, uh, it was only uh, earlier this week that uh – Earlier this week, late last week, that Joe Biden, of course, released an executive order uh, for U.S. AI companies, including OpenAI and Google, of course, to share their safety test results with the government before releasing AI models. Um, strong words, of course, from the U.S. and taking that, that first step. Um, but does it actually mean anything in the real world, though, Matt? Uh it depends on how this is going to be structured. So this is something that I think we talked about last week, how you actually go about framing this kind of legislation, what kind of parties, what stakeholders you involve in framing that legislation. Mm. Submitting your AI model to the US government for vetting <laughs> is only useful <laughs> if there are people there who have the expertise to do the vetting. I mean, that's like you know, somebody giving me their accountancy details, you know, well, exactly. But I mean, that's actually a very good parallel because companies have to submit financial records. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that 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 is actually quite a, a useful alternative. But in order for those records to be understood, tax authorities have departments of specialists who know what to look for in those records. They have forensic accountants. Mm -hmm. Now, do we have the skill sets 
in government at the moment to actually look at these models and to rate and assess them. Mm. So, you know, there's the issue the EU is uh, is saying at the moment, well, they're putting up their hand and saying we were the first to start working on uh, rules for AI. Yes, but they're also one of the slowest organisations uh, when it comes to coming up with these rules. So, yeah, they do. They need to start a decade mm. before everyone else because it takes them so long to, <laughs> to get through their, their processes. So... This is an industry that is based on speed. Yeah. Uh, so we have to have the kind of resources and the minds in the organizations that that can actually look at this technology and say whether it should or shouldn't be released to the public. Okay. On to some happier AI news, in fact. Um, we were just talking about it just a moment ago. Um, the Beatles, um, how AI has resurrected the Beatles again. Um, who would have thought that fans worldwide could still enjoy the privilege of listening to a new Beatles release after five decades? Uh, now and Then was released on the uh, 2nd of November, which will uh, most likely uh, be the last Beatles song. 50 years ago or so, the late John Lennon recorded the demo of Now and Then onto a cassette, uh, which had some um, questionable quality, and an AI program created by Peter Jackson was used to separate John Lennon's vocals and remove the background noise. Um, no artificially created sounds were used, and the tech was only used to clear up the original performance, so it's a good twist to the um, usually villainized side of AI in the music scene. Yeah, another one where I really don't know what to, to say and think. From a technology standpoint, this is fantastic. So yeah. the idea of taking that that recording um, and cleaning it up so it can be used in a new recording, absolutely fantastic. Um, now, you know, the saying that no AI was used, well, if you look at the video, mm. the video is a bit of a horror show um, <laughs> in terms of uh, the use of sort of CGI and uh, AI representations of, uh, of people. So from a song perspective, yeah, this is great uh, technology. Uh, and I think the, the last song the Beatles released, was it Free as a Bird? Free as a Bird, yeah, I believe. So yeah. That, was, that was in the early, the early 2000s. And I have to say that I prefer that as a Beatles song yeah, to yeah. the new one. Uh, not because of the quality of uh, the, the John Lennon composition, but simply because this sounds like a song created by a man in his 30s with an arrangement and music recorded by a couple of guys in their 70s. My issue is not with the John Lennon part of this song. It's the kind of lumpen, leaden arrangement that has come from involving two very old men mm. to sit alongside John Lennon in mm. this. Mm. So I know that's an attitude that's probably going to get a lot of complaints on the uh, the WhatsApp feed right now. Yes. But, um, you know, I would have preferred to have uh, heard an enhanced version of this without the other Beatles uh, coming onto the track. I'm just waiting for Robert to uh, type in, of course, uh, his response to that. You know, he tells me that it's likely to hit number one in the UK charts this week. Um, well, I, I mean, I you know, from a... Like I said, from a technical standpoint, I think it's fantastic and it's quite a pretty tune. I just don't really like what the old blokes have done uh, in adding their own contributions. <laughs> okay, uh, very quickly, uh, final story to wrap up with. Um, AI will threaten Singapore professionals if not used thoughtfully. This is according to a study. A new global study suggests that highly paid professionals uh, with no managerial duties may be most affected by the use of AI to cut costs and enhance productivity. So this contradicts the expectation 
that mainly low and middle class, uh, sorry, middle skilled positions would be devalued or lost due to AI, says the research by 20 social scientists. Did you read much of this, Matt, at all? Uh, I did. And to be honest, it's really interesting. It's not something that I'd uh, considered before. You know, we talked on Matt's explained quite a number of times about the risk that AI poses to uh, middle management positions to white collar workers. What I hadn't considered was a country like Singapore, which positions itself almost entirely as a hub that provides uh, those kind of service industry professionals and and services to the, the global economy. So it is very interesting how this could impact an economy that has based its success and its focus ah. uh, on providing these these services that are quickly being uh, eroded by, by AI. Yeah. Um, so managers are expected to gain greater influence as technology helps coordinate and organize tasks, potentially reducing the control of professionals and technicians. The Digital Future of Work research program is uh, funded by Skills Future Singapore, spanned four years since 2019, included over 500 interviews and uh, quantitative analyses of AI adoption patterns in global locations. And the study suggests that AI can have a positive impact on jobs if society intervenes in how companies utilize AI, emphasizing human differentiators and collaboration. Helsinki, Berlin and digital hubs like Singapore, uh, with a high concentration of tech activities, have prioritized using AI to enhance professional work and opportunities rather than substituting well-paid workers. Interesting to see how this is going to pan out then. Um, it is. Um, I'd like to see as well if uh, Singapore starts to invest a lot more into, uh, you know, the development of data centers mm-hmm. and all of the other elements essential for AI and actually becomes a bit of an AI computing hub, not just in terms of in the service sector, but actually in the, the provision of the back end of this. Hold that thought, because I think there might be something to discuss on that next week. I might have a bit of news for you for that. Anyway, um, it's time for myself and Matt to uh, wrap up for this uh, week's episode of Tech Tuesday, of course. Thank you very much, all of you, for tuning in. Uh, And uh, (laughs) Matt, we have a response uh, from Robert. He says, oh, Matt, how dare you? What about the Stones' uh, most (laughs) recent release? Oh, that's horrible. Oh, don't encourage him, Robert. Don't encourage him. We've got a wrap up for today. Coming up after, of course, the one o'clock news, it is the Breakfast Grill uh, replay. George Yeo, the former Minister of Foreign Affairs in Singapore, he served 23 years in the Singapore government and his ministerial portfolios range from information, the arts, health, trade industry to foreign affairs, of course. He joined the Breakfast Grill to discuss not only his most recent book in the three-part series, but also to provide insights into his environment valuable experiences in government and offer reflections on Singapore's journey to date. Of course, uh, Enterprise Biz Bytes will be back same time, same place tomorrow here at noon. Matt will be joining us yet again on Friday for Matt Splain and he will be back next Tuesday, of course, for Tech Tuesday. This has been Enterprise Biz Bytes here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.